Um, and I think there's some really hard conversations because it also depends on your partner and it depends on you. And if they're willing to listen and go, yeah, you're right, this isn't fair, regardless of who's earning what. And I think that's a really key part because I've heard lots of people where the male partner, I guess we're talking about, will be like, well, I go out to work and I earn the money. And it's like, that isn't the end of the conversation. That doesn't work. You can't measure them as, well, that means that you then don't have to do all these other things. And in some relationships do work like that. That's the other thing. It's individual, isn't it? But for me, to do what I do, I needed us to be more equal at home. Hello and welcome to Bossing It, the Found and Flourish podcast. This series will be exploring the real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Every episode will be a new adventure, discovering a fresh outlook on life and business, as well as a chance to get top tips to inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie London Jefferson, and today I'm joined by Steph Douglas, founder of Don't Buy Her Flowers. When Steph had her first baby, she received countless bouquets from well-meaning friends and family who wanted to congratulate her, which was lovely until she realized she was running out of vases. It's then she recognised the need for a new way of gifting, a way of showing someone you care without giving them yet another thing to look after. The idea for Don't Buy Her Flowers was born, and since starting the brand in 2014, Steph has gone from packing parcels on her bedroom floor to running a seven-figure business and an ever-growing team. Originally launching for new mums, the company now offers packages for all occasions, from Father's Day to weddings. Steph's story is incredibly inspiring and in this episode we talk about everything from scaling your business whilst balancing motherhood to how creating an amazing support network can help you achieve your goals. We also touch on how Steph managed to navigate her busiest month ever at the peak of lockdown and how she witnessed the pandemic make people more thoughtful than ever before. I absolutely loved chatting to Steph so I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone and welcome to the Bossing It podcast for Found and Flourish. Today I'm joined by Steph Douglas from Don't Buy Her Flowers. Now, if you don't know Steph, I feel like at least everyone listening to this podcast will have sent one of her packages or received one of her packages or maybe follow her on social media where her account and the brand's account is just a really heartwarming, fun place to hang out. Um, so Steph, thank you so much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. So Steph, I, I said, I feel like most people will know you and be familiar with your story and definitely familiar with the brand. But for anyone that doesn't, could you just give us a little bit of a background as to, I guess, where you started and kind of where the business is today? Yeah, so um, I started Don't Buy Flowers in 2014, the end of 2014. And so nearly seven years. And I, the idea basically came before that. I'd worked in brand and marketing um, I'd worked it on big government campaigns and big um, corporate campaigns. And I um, had my first baby in 2010. And um, I just, the whole thing was really overwhelming. Um, I found it, obviously, physically, it was overwhelming, but also just mentally, I think I was at home feeling really overwhelmed and leaky and weepy and emotional and all these things. And for some reason, I think maybe because I was one of my first friends to have babies, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting it. And and I think there was less chat at the time that was quite honest chat about motherhood. So 
maybe there was, was less to kind of honesty about it. And so I felt really overwhelmed and, and then flowers kept arriving, these beautiful bouquets. They were all really well-intentioned and they were for me. So I think that was people's, you know, way of thinking, oh, let's get something for mum. She's done a lot. Um, but it, I just, it just struck me as a really bizarre gift and, and it turned out it's kind of the go-to gift for new mums or it was and um, to send them flowers and you've got to do stuff with them you have to look after them you probably don't have that many vases like it's all of those things which again it's I'm not meant to sound it might sound really ungrateful I don't mean to but it just was like that's strange isn't it and I and it kind of was all it just really struck me so when a friend had a baby after that and I had lots of friends were having babies I would send them some chocolate and a magazine in a jiffy bag and it wasn't anything fancy but always with a kind of note like you're doing a great job it's going to get easier you know you, it's all going to be okay just some reassurance because actually that's what I wanted and that's what when I got that from certain friends I can just remember being so grateful for it because I just wanted someone to tell me it was going to be okay um, and so that was really um, the start of the idea and I went back to work and then I fairly quickly went off and had another baby and then after another year's maternity I went back to work but I just couldn't really shake the idea so I set myself the target of launching a blog starting a blog because I was like if I can do that and I can motivate myself and we can build the site to do that and I can have find the time to write it and all that stuff then maybe there's something in it if people... And it was writing about motherhood and relationships, and it's very honest. And I thought, if I can do that and that goes somewhere, maybe that will lead me into the next bit, which was starting the business. And actually, the blog went really well. And so when we launched... I, I, that gave me the courage to quit my job. And then we launched... So that was at the start of the year. And in the November, we launched the business, but it was very much gifts for new mums. And we now cover... I mean, it's, it's quite a different business in a way, but the core aim around thoughtfulness is the main thing. But we cover bereavement, get well, um, birthday, corporate gifting, lots and lots, stand up to cancer, we work with them, lo loads of different occasions. But the bit that I have to kind of maintain is that thoughtfulness and make sure that we don't just end up, it's not just a gift company, it's a thoughtful gift company. So the things in it, the way we communicate, the way we are with our customers, all of that, has to retain that thoughtfulness and that's what we do <laughs> yeah. and, and that really comes through in everything that you do you know like you said it really goes through the whole brand like your whole tone of voice and your approach to social media um I think that thoughtfulness definitely comes through so I love that you've been able to carry that thread all the way through I'm really interested in what you said about starting the blog and then starting the business and I'm kind of wondering what was your sort of mindset or what were the things that were coming up in your head from that the start of the idea to kind of four years later, it, kind of going for it. Was it just a case of, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do this? Were there sort of some limiting beliefs that were holding you back? Or were you like also in the haze of newborn life and thinking maybe it's not the best time, but I feel like there's something there for the future? I think it's a combination. So I think when I returned to work, I realised that juggling two small kids and getting to the nursery pickup on time and all that stuff, um, and going into town to work was going to be tricky. I think I sat in a couple of meetings where I sat there and I thought, I don't think I care about this as much as I used to, if I'm really honest, in that, you know, I'm putting my kids in childcare, I'm paying for that, I'm, and they mean a lot to me. I want to be doing something that also means a lot to me, if I'm going to do that. Um, 
And also, yeah, the blog really, I think it was exactly that I didn't have the confidence. I, you know, I think having children, having babies knocks your confidence. You're not mm. getting feedback about it in the same way that you do at work. Um, you're not surrounded by the people that you're with. You probably aren't, you know, I know you might join like an NCT class and they're strangers. You know, some people get on really well with them and some people don't, or it might be a mixture, but either way, they don't know you. They don't know your family. They don't know your relationship like that your friends do. And so, and at a time when you might be feeling really lost in terms of your identity. And so I, I think that the blog was like a way to kind of, I suppose my kids at that point were, yeah, two, what, more than three. And so it was a focus. It was quite cathartic. I was writing about things I'd been through when they were a little bit smaller. So I was kind of out the other side a little bit in that I wasn't still in the right bones of just having had a baby but I was writing about what feeling really radiant my husband and the hormones and all the other stuff that comes with having a baby and the resentment that he went off to work and I felt trapped at home even though that's not really the case but at that point that's exactly how I felt and so that but it was very much a stepping stone I think I I was like if I can do that then I can maybe think about the business it was just like I couldn't the leap from I'm an employee of a big company who let me have my holiday days off and all that and my salary gets paid regardless I that leap to starting my own business was really big and I'd never thought about starting my own business until I had the idea for don't buy her flowers it wasn't a burning thing of I want to do something what will it be it was more that the idea was there and I was like right I've got to do that and when you did take the plunge in 2014, did you quit your job in 2014? Was that when you kind of went all in? I started the blog in the February. So it was my New Year's resolution was, all right, I've got to start a blog. And I think I started it in the February. That was my focus. It was one thing that I've got, just got to get the blog going. Um, and I was writing every week um, and then and posts were going viral. And as I said, I was, I was lucky in a way because it was at a time when there wasn't as much. It was just when you had people like um, Hurrah for Gin and the unmumsy mum, people who are really big now and do loads of writing. We're all, we, were, we were all friends and we were kind of doing it at the same time. And then in the May, I think I left my job. So I gave my notice in maybe April. Um, so I, yeah, a few months in and then I started the business in the November. So that was kind of the, the pattern of it. It's quite fast. And I, and I think that that mummy blogger scene, it's really interesting that you were at the start of that. Because I think now people see that that, that is a career um, aspiration for some people like it can make yeah. a very very good career out of it but I guess at that time it was a lot more going into the unknown just doing something because it felt right and that you wanted to give it a go and then it's kind of you you've built it into your your own business so when you when you went all in which is scary for anyone but you've got two young kids still not quite newborns but you know still young what was that juggle like did you feel like because you've been juggling full-time work and kids and then suddenly you were doing a business did it at first feel easier and then did it get harder or or what was that transition like? I was part-time so I think I was three days a week when I when I quit um I well the kids were still in uh, so although I wasn't taking salary obviously there wasn't any money at that point um uh, the kids were in nursery three days but I think the passion if I really think about what it was like I think the passion took me through because mm. I was working every hour that I could basically and I would work in the evenings and I remember that first Mother's Day which is when I really so obviously that's six months in and I would and we it just went and when I say it went wild I mean it went wild in comparison to whatever I was doing so I think in that first month we did something like 
30 orders and probably a lot of those were friends and family um and then by mother's day you know there were just there were orders coming in every day and I was packing them at home so I was doing it all myself and I remember it coincided with Doug my husband was away so I would put the kids to bed and then I'd start packing orders and I can remember it being like one in the morning and listening to magic fm and like packing orders but I didn't mind because it was I could you could see it it was so tangible and it was exciting so that it and I suppose I need to remember that because I think you start to forget all those things and it that's what took me through so I I found an energy that I think I probably didn't know I had but because I was doing something that was that I was using my full self for as well like I've I've all, I've always worked. I I left university. I went straight into work. I didn't want to travel. I just wanted to work. And I and I put a lot into what all the jobs I did. And I worked hard. But I suppose when you're in a big corporate environment, there's only so far you're going to go at certain ages and everything else. And whereas this feels like I use my whole brain, and I've had to really develop things that I didn't have to do in previous jobs. So I'm definitely more employable. I mean, I'm, I'm more employable in, in a skills, from a skill set point of view, because I've learned so much in the last few years. That's the founder game. It's like suddenly you're jack of all, literally all, tra- all trades. <laughs> it's amazing. And if you don't do it, you'll work it out because you have to. So. And how is that juggle? You know, I've kind of got this image of you, like you said, like in your house, like packing these up, listen to magic with your like two young kids asleep upstairs. And now you've got three kids and you're coming to us from your warehouse in Gloucester so your family has evolved and the business has evolved a lot how has that yeah. juggle evolved or has as the have the, has the ages of your kids made it a little bit easier has getting support helped and outsourcing stuff and building your team how how have they evolved together I think at the beginning so when I can remember being like a few months in and being sat on the sofa and just feeling really tired like just being like oh, I don't I don't know how to do this because what I hadn't realized I was still trying to do everything I did prior to running a business if in terms of what I did at home in terms of how much I cooked or all those things for my kids um and just run a business on top and in addition to that I can run a business well you can't you just can't so I had to have some quite serious conversations with my husband who on paper at the time you know he was earning the income for us because I wasn't and he was going to work every day from eight till from seven till six or whatever he was doing so therefore it kind of fell to me and I slipped into that role like I think a lot of women do of well I do I manage whatever's at home Mm -hmm. and and it's not he's not a sort of terrible Neanderthal type man that we just fell into those and I think that's what a lot of men and women do much as you want to believe that it's not what we do and and prior to that before we had children I did lovingly make him sandwiches and all that shit and I ca- almost can't quite believe oh that's my God, the same Steph, you're better than me. <laughs> but I did when we were probably more in the early days but I you know so so it's that shift is massive for both of you actually but I I I had to sort of say to him I can't do this and he was like well I can do the weekly shop and and being like yeah he can and I had to give up give it over and it sounds ridiculous but I think a lot of the time we also hold on to stuff because it's like oh it's quicker if I do it it's easier if I do it oh I always do that and actually that's just crap you can pass it over and make it more equal and we have to work equally have to work really hard to make it equal and sometimes like there's some really good podcasts about overwhelm and the mental load and there's one with Glennon Doyle that's really recent one there's another one and I can't think who it is it's Eve someone um but in it 
they explain overwhelm in a way that I've never been able to explain it to my husband like that and they talk about the ticker tape of stuff to do that runs like along the bottom of your screen like on the new screen mm. it's running through your head of oh and I need to do that and I did that and the kids need new shoes and oh I forgot to get toilet roll and, da, 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 da. and that is just a noise that's constantly there and I think he has understood better that that is part of what we need to work that out in our relationship but because it fits through to everything that we then need to manage in terms of us both working what our kids are doing when summer holidays how's that going to work um, and I think there's some really hard conversations because it also depends on your partner and it depends on you. Like if you're willing to give it over, if you're willing to accept that they're going to do it differently to you, that's quite a big thing because I know lots of women who aren't willing to accept that. Um, and if they're willing to listen and go, yeah, you're right, this isn't fair, regardless of who's earning what. And I think that's a really key part because for a long time I wasn't earning money. So it was a different contribution. I think I've heard lots of people where the male partner, I guess we're talking about, would be like, well, I go out to work and I earn the money. And it's like, that isn't the end of the conversation. That can't, that doesn't work. They're, then you can't measure them as, well, that means that you then don't have to do all these other things. And in some relationships do work like that. That's the other thing. It's individual, isn't it? But for me to do what I do, I needed us to be more equal at home. And I think, oh, my husband has got that. And it's a constant, you know, we have to talk about it and work it out all the time. I love that that was, you know, that was your answer to the question because I think so often we talk to women about, like, how do you juggle motherhood? And then you're, we end up talking about, you know, how we juggle motherhood. And it's actually like, if you've got a partner, then it's a joint effort to juggle parenthood. It's not about, you know, one partner having to juggle his things and do all this like mental gymnastics to to work and be a parent it's actually it should be equal. I think you can't underestimate what a big shift it is as well because it's a bit like I've talked to lots of friends and we laugh about how like your mum or your mother-in-law will be like oh he's so good isn't he when he you know looks after the kids or like my husband took the my older kids the older kids camping for a couple of well, for a week actually or five nights and yeah, like, great, it is. But then there's a bit of me that doesn't want him to receive that praise because I kind of think, well, I've had to do stuff like that all the time. Well, you know, and and that's not fair, really, because it was great. It was helpful. He took the kids and I was doing a work thing. Um, but it's just a, such a shift from where our parents are at mm. and the, and the behaviours that we were modelled for, probably for most of us, for our whole childhood. What we are trying to do is very, very different. And so you can't help but slip into that or everyone around you is slipped into that. And it's so you're constantly kind of challenging it. And yeah, we ha we've had to work out our own way. And as I say, some people it will be in a much more traditional setup and it will work for them. And some people won't. I think the generation before us, I found when I'm talking to women in business in particular, they'll kind of be like, oh, well, you have to get a nanny. So, oh, you must get a nanny. It's kind of that is the, because you can't possibly, it can't possibly be your husband that's going to share that with you. Mm. It has to, you have to find that, outsource that. And for, again, for some people that will work, I didn't want to do that and nor did my husband. So sometimes we've probably made it harder for ourselves by not doing that. Um, but we do have a cleaner and she comes twice a week. And she also sorts out the wash. I mean, I still have to do washing because there's five of us. But she, you know, she helps keep on top of stuff. Um, and we have breakfast clubs and after school clubs when it's term time. And we're in summer holidays now and they're in clubs for some of it. Not all of it, but... And also the, the eight and ten-year-old 
can go to friends' houses and it's much easier than when they're small, when you're always getting a phone call from nursery that someone's sick or they only want to be at home because they want to be in there with their mum and dad. and like that. that it, it, I think that bit gets easier, a lot easier, in terms of being able to remove yourself sometimes. And in terms of that support network, I guess, you've got the kind of like the domestic home life support network that are there. And then I'm assuming as well, also your team has grown a lot. So you're, you know, taking things again, you're not at home doing it all by yourself anymore. When did that start to happen? When did that shift of like, oh, okay, this could be something if I looked into outsourcing, if I started adding team members? Because I think that's a really scary moment for any business owner when you take that, like, okay, I'm going to employ people. It's a massive mental thing to get over as well, I think completely agree and so I was about nine months in and I was packing um boxes myself but I was also obviously doing all the other stuff ordering the stock promoting it trying to think of new ideas and all that stuff and I think I met with a friend um Charlotte who's a photographer and she was like you need to have someone pack the box you can't be packing boxes and do all the other stuff but yeah bringing someone in especially because I was still doing it in my house so it's bringing someone into my house to do that and also being like well will they pack it the way that I packed it and all that stuff and of course they can of course you can teach someone to do that but it felt really nerve-wracking I think the thing I'd say with that is you don't need to start with someone who is a full-time employee on PAYE and has a pension and you know there's loads of options of there's loads of people looking for work. There's loads of people looking for flexible work, but they only want to do six hours a week. Like you can start small, and that's what I did. So I had a couple of girls who would come, they'd pack boxes after college on my bedroom floor. Um, and it wasn't the ultimate setup. It's very different to the massive warehouse I've got behind <laughs> me, but that's what we needed to do. And it kept my costs low because I was still doing it for my house. So I did that for two years. And then about a year in, um so the, so I had the couple of girls packing I was just answering all the customer inquiries but also dealing with if there were issues with delivery usually it was courier issues and all that kind of stuff and it's a real distraction when you're trying to look at their business from you know where's it going to go to and you're answering all the customer emails so again a friend of mine ended up um coming in getting involved and she did it she lived in Spain at the time she now is at the warehouse but and she started answering all the customer service stuff um, and then I think the next thing I did was my brought my brother on board and he is our head of operations. So he ran the warehouse and he was like, well, I could run the warehouse from Gloucestershire where is where our parent, where we're from. And so we, we moved it out of the house to the warehouse. So that was a couple of years in. So I had a couple of years of, it was growing month on month, really nice and steady. I could see that it was working. We weren't spending any money on, on marketing and it was still growing through the blog and things like that. Wow. So you can see the potential. Yeah. Um, but I but I have found that every time we've added somebody to the business, it has allowed us to grow. Every time that we've taken on someone else or moved to premises or any of those things, it frees up your head mm. for the business to be bigger. That's so interesting. And it and it took a while to learn that. Yeah, I guess that, and that's so great to hear because I think it is so frightening to take those little steps. But if you're kind of like, it is you know you've got to speculate to accumulate kind of thing where you've got to kind of put a bit of a risk in there and actually your idea is good and you can see that steady growth and the chances are that's actually going to help your business grow and you'll not only cover that person's cost but you'll you know you'll you'll start when did it I mean I feel like it feels like and we can talk a bit about the pandemic because I think that really did take the business to a whole other level but do you remember a moment when you were like 
oh wow like this is a really good could be is going to be a really really big business do you remember that moment that you had that um I think probably the first Mother's Day was definitely one when I was like oh because it was and again yeah we weren't um we weren't promoting it particularly anywhere it was all sort of word of mouth and through social media and really organic um so the first mother's day was quite a big one mother's day every mother's day has been one um and especially in the last few years because we've just are that much bigger and there's more people that know about us the the start of the pandemic was a whole other level um where it really because it was the mother's day was on the sunday and boris announced the lockdown on the monday um so all that run up was when it started to shift from everybody joking about the pandemic and you know old virus and wear a mask and elbow touching all of that was kind of a bit funny or not really real until that week and because it was the week of mother's day which is our biggest week of the year anyway we were on Lorraine and it just took off it was we were kind of it was all in sort of shell shocked a bit and the orders were flying in to the point that we were like, oh my God, you know, we've got to get stock. How are we going to do this? As well as at the same time, the team around me are going, what, my kids can't go to school next yeah. week? What, like what? It was a really bizarre, really bizarre time. And I, we weren't watching the news because we were just here packing till like 11 o'clock at night. And everyone was here. Everyone I know locally was here. We all just like piled people in. Um, and then and at that point, we, there wasn't so much about social distancing. Again, it was kind of starting to come in. And then obviously that really changed over the next couple of weeks. So that was just mad. And but and yeah, there was a my husband works in finance and the whole way through DBHF, he's been like, there will be a point where it will just hit. And suddenly, financially, it all really works yeah. because you don't have like, our costs don't go up if, if the orders um, go up our costs don't really go up that much mm-hmm. now because we've got our, we've got our main load of people yeah. or the management team are in place the um space is here all of that but you and then you just it's just extra cost for more people to pack which isn't a huge cost but the orders could be the volume can be so much higher and that the maths on that just suddenly shifts it to something that's a really valuable business so it was really good to see, as well as being challenging and weird and horrible in ways. Um, and, and yeah, just logistically very different. I was going to say, I mean, pre-pandemic, but also through the pandemic, what have, like, what are the challenges that you face? Because I imagine with the nature of your business where you're, you know, you're curating these boxes, you're getting different stock from different places. I think logistics must be something that's really crucial mm-hmm. to the smooth running of, of the business. How was that as you scaled? Like what were the challenges around that or, or some other challenges that maybe you faced? They're definitely challenging. I mean, the team, we've, um, they're, we're all here now. We just had a meeting this morning. We've got a new stock management system, which we um, are putting in because where it's grown so much, like it didn't, you used to be able to look at the shelf and go, oh, look, we've got five of those. And, you know, you, you would then sell them and it was all really clear. And it obviously it's completely different when you're selling a few thousand packages a month. And so we, yeah, that, that was a big challenge. And we had to put process in place in a way that we just didn't have to do before because it was a small team. So pre-pandemic, I think there were 10 of us. And that includes the social media manager and the packing team and all of those people. Um, po- during the time, there was a time I think we got up to 32 employees in a month. And we had temps, obviously. There were lots of people who were out of work because of the pandemic and we needed people to pack boxes. Um, and we're at over 20 now. So... 
yeah, just the challenge of you communicating. Communications is a massive one and making sure that everybody knows what's happening and everyone is following the same process. Um, managing the stock is, is a really big challenge. Um, and, and different personalities as well. Like I've, I had check-ins with everybody across the team and because I realised that there were just little things going on where people might not feel comfortable about something or somebody might be worrying about something. or And it was really interesting because I've, I've learned so much in the last year because it's been so intense about personalities and different ways that people need to be nurtured or led or communicated with. And it's really complicated. Like It's like a social experiment, which would be really interesting if it wasn't my actual work. Yeah, um, but it is, and they're all brilliant. They've all, they've all been brilliant. The last year has just shown me how important that is and having that team of people that you trust mm. um, because that was fundamental to it. So I think, but communication is massive, and I think you, if you've worked in big companies, it's very different to... I was going to say, did you manage a team at your previous... So had you kind of got experience of people management, or was that something new you had to learn? I did, but it wasn't a team this size and it wasn't managing them through a pandemic mm. when they also had their all their own personal stuff going on, um, as did I, you know, because everybody's feeling weird about the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, no, I've had to learn. It's been a massive learning curve, but I'm, I'm really, tr- you know, I've tried really hard to not, to not fuck it up and also to be vulnerable, to be able to say to them all, you know, all, because... A lot of the team haven't been employed for their skills as such. Like I haven't brought in people who, are, you know, some of them are, but some of them have come from the packing team who you've seen something in them and they are really driven or they're really good at project management or whatever it is. And that I love that bit of it because then you've got people who are kind of, they understand the whole business because they've worked through it. Mm. Um, but then they've all been learning as, at the same time as me. So in some of our team meetings it'd be like right we need to have a really open honest discussion about this and we I need to tell you I don't know I've never done this before neither have you so we're going to have to work it out together and I don't mean that to sound really cheesy but it it, it very much is that there's no point in me pretending I know what I'm doing all the time because I don't and also I've got two of my best mates work here and my brother so they would see if you were like (laughs) if I was trying to come in in my power suit yeah it's not going to happen I think there is, I think, and, you know, I don't want to say it is just women because it's certainly not, but I do feel like there's been, there is a new breed of entrepreneur now where it isn't all about necessarily going around and, you know, like talking in this jargon that no one understands. And, you know, I think it is, there is a, there's a power in being vulnerable and being just really honest with your team and with your customers. And I think people buy into that. I actually wanted to ask about, obviously the blog, I think was a really great starting point for you. And something that I think we hear a lot is if people have got product-based businesses, it can be quite hard to get that emotional attachment because it's, you know, if it's a service and you're selling your skills and people are buying into you as a person. But do you feel like because the blog was first, people did kind of buy into you as a person? And then how have you felt being the face of it? You know, your Instagram handle is Steph Don't Buy Her Flowers. Like you are very much integral to the brand's personality. And was that a conscious decision or was it just like a natural evolution from the blog? And do you think that it's it's helped with that kind of customer loyalty and customer connection? I think it's changed over time as we've got bigger because I think now there will be customers who have no idea who I am and it's of no import you know, it's of no importance. It's definitely changed. Whereas I think at the beginning it was very much a woman who'd set up a business having had this experience mm-hmm. and following me on that journey, if that makes sense. 
Um, so I think it it can it can run independently of me now. It's not the same thing, but I think we I've recognised the the there is strength in um, the storytelling that goes behind it. The people are interested in that. They're interested in how the business you know the story of the business as well as my own experience or people in my team's experience. Um, so I think it's it's changed, but. I think we, for us, it's really important like to keep that. I mean, it's what it's in part what makes it unique that keeping that thoughtfulness in the way that we communicate, even decisions that we made during the pandemic, like we turned off all our advertising, and I was like, it just feels really odd to be telling people, hey, if you need to send someone a gift because someone's died, or you yeah. need to send someone a gift because you're having a terrible time, we're here. And I was like, it does not fit, and it felt, and I was like, that just feels really uncomfortable, and that's not who we are. Um, which in some ways I guess was quite brave but also we were so busy that it, we didn't it turned out we didn't need it but what we did do is we focused instead on like PPC and Google Ads so that if people were looking for gifts we were there and I think things like that that's just where you have to kind of take your head out of your ass and go right what did we do why do we start this how what are we trying to do in the way that we communicate you could cut so many corners as it's got bigger <clears throat> and think oh, well, you don't need to spend that time over that customer. You don't need to refund their postage because it's not our mistake, it's the courier. But actually, those are the things that we are retaining. And I, and that's my, I guess I'm the guardian of that to make sure that we don't lose that because then you become a different business. And then that's not why you get the high re repeat rate that we get. Or, you know, I think... Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to retain some of what you did at the beginning. Totally. Remember that person, like, packing, listening to magic. <laughs> what was yeah, it? Yeah. But I think that's all about having, like, brand values, isn't it, that kind of echo you. And I think that's another challenge of, of scaling is it's easy to kind of be the brand when it's you and maybe two other people. But once you start getting a bigger team, you really need to make sure that you're hiring people and you're teaching them what your brand what your values are because your values become the brand values that's really important so so my head of marketing our social media manager our um pr person all of that stuff yeah they get it they get it so much they understand you know i mean our social media manager can write copy in the voice that is the business you know that she does what she does and i think then our, our warehouse team as well, like what has been amazing, and this isn't down to me at all, I, I don't hire the warehouse team, so my brother and his team who've hired um, people who are just brilliant and loyal and kind and fun and they love being here. And when we had the one-to-ones, I think I've worked in, I used to work in warehouses when I was a student at uni and just to earn money over the summer. And they can be pretty miserable. It's quite monotonous. It could be quite mundane. And I don't know how the team here have managed it, but there's a lovely atmosphere and the people, and, and it's the people who work here who told me that, you know, and they said, I've never worked anywhere this lovely where the people are all kind to each other and and we have to retain that and, and there's been moments in the last year where you could lose that and because there's more people you're dealing with more personalities see that is a, a constant I think that's just a constant from now like the, the time when your business grows the amount of time you now spend on people and communicating with your team is obviously completely disproportionate to what it used to be when I just didn't have to really think about it there's only a couple of people but one of the girls in the warehouse was like when I came here, I was really suspicious because everyone was just so nice. 
And then like, she was like, I thought there must be something going on. <laughs> and it turned out it was all really nice. People were kind and helpful to each other. And, and it's like, God, if we can have that in, in the warehouse, that's pretty special. So again, how do we retain, like making sure you keep that and maintain it despite the growth is a big focus for everyone. And, and are you, correct me if I'm wrong, you're still completely self-funded, right? You haven't taken investment yet. Correct, yeah. So we have had loans at different times, but they've, we've, they've all been paid off. Do you think that's what's allowed you to really keep a hold of that brand personality and, and make sure it doesn't go somewhere where you don't recognise it anymore? Possibly. This is it's a really big... Because so I've seen what's possible with Don't Buy Flowers in the last year in terms of scale and and it was great. And then obviously it's a bit quieter now. Everything's opened up. People are doing other things. It's, it's still massively up on where we were pre-COVID. So I'm really happy with it. But you kind of can see the potential. And so we've been talking about whether we get investment. How would we do that? There's loads of different ways to do that. And one of the things that worries me and I don't know reading some of your questions about self-belief like the part of it might be that I'm nervous about it because I've not done it before I don't know that world um but also I don't want it to change dramatically mm-hmm. from what it is I, I want it to I want I'd love to have someone who helps drive it and has the vision and the focus and all those things great but I wouldn't want that or this is the number that you have to reach at this point and if we haven't done that and then it all becomes about that and that's when you take your eye off are the team happy is the customer services still doing its job? Are the products still the best quality? I can see how that would, because I think a lot of your time would be taken up with that. So it's, a, but I think we are, what we do have is that we are really clear on our own brand. So event, whoever we work with, um, we have that. And they'll get on hopefully. board with the vision as well. Yeah, that's, that's what you, it's a risk, but yeah, that's what we'd have to look at. And those, I guess, the practicalities of scaling to, to the, the level that you're at now, but how was your mindset around that? Because I think that it's quite common, again, not specifically for women, but I think I hear it a lot where it's just kind of like, oh no, like I don't want it to, you know, I just want to have a business, which means I can, you know, enjoy my life and, you know, pick my kids up from school or whatever that might be, a sort of more lifestyle business, I suppose. And like, do you feel like there was work you had to do to go, okay, no, the sky's the limit, I can do this? Or was that always kind of there within you and it just evolved quite naturally? I don't think I had put a cap on it. I, don't, I remember people saying, so is it a lifestyle business that you want? And being like, I don't really understand what that is. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I would say is that regardless of, it's a lot of work to run a business. So part of my thinking is, I don't really want to stop. I don't want to stop at that point where you kind of go, oh, this is comfortable. Mm-hmm. I kind of, it's like, I've worked this hard and we as a team have worked this hard. I really want to see it pay off. So, and I think I can see the potential in it. Um, so we've kind yeah, we, I mean, we've gone beyond that point now with the warehouse and the team and everything else. So I don't know, but, and also I think there's nothing wrong. Like if somebody wants a lifestyle business and that's, okay. that's where they're at, I think it's a lot of work. I mean, to, to run something. So I suppose it's it, it totally depends on your finances and your margins and all that stuff as to whether you can put in a reasonable amount of work and it still pays you enough mm. that you're comfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't take a salary for the first few years. So I suppose I always had in, I, without really saying it to anyone, I suppose I had in my mind that I want this to be bigger. Yeah. And I do. I can. I can see it. And you can. And also, I can see. I know how good it is. I know. I know it's a really good product. I know the response we get from our customers, and I don't see anyone else doing it. So 
our biggest challenge really is reaching more people, which again is down to finance. Um, you know, you can go so far self-funding and then it might be that there yeah, comes a time where you have to pump some money into and really into the marketing of it. It's not anything else that, that requires the money. And that will be what takes you to that next bit. But I, I'm at a really a kind of point, a crossroads, I suppose, where I'm talking to people and getting the information and getting different viewpoints. And then I can kind of assess that and talk with my team and my husband and work out like, right, what do we do next? But um, I, I think so don't have to those things. steps, like the warehouse, for example, and the team, you know, I guess you yeah. kind of past that point of this isn't a lifestyle business anymore. And this is, you know, um, uh, it could be a real enterprise, I suppose. And so I guess that's really yeah. exciting to kind of get past that point and now and think, okay, what's next. I think what is different because we didn't take investment, we didn't have to do it overnight. We didn't suddenly go, oh, look, we've got 500 grand or look, we've got two million pounds. This is what it's all going to be spent on. We've lit, we literally had did it step by step. So it was what employing one person at a time, and maybe they started on less hours with the aim that we would build up their hours because then it was less cost for us and it was less risk for them and all that stuff. It has been really incremental. So although in some ways it's like, oh God, look at it now and there's 20 old people and this warehouse and everything else, it, it, it's it been one thing at a time. So it's almost not so scary because you, it's almost, and then there were times when I walked in when we were in the pandemic and it was, there were people and there were people I didn't know, whereas obviously I used to know everybody because it was so small. And then someone new had joined and then come in and they're here and walking in and going, God, this is crazy that this is what used to be in my house. Yeah. And it's so, so much bigger. And, and I did allow myself those moments to go, whoa, this is great. And all these people. And, and that's the scary. I think that's the scariest bit. It's not so much the risk to us and the finance and all that stuff. It's they, these people are being paid and it pays their salary or their, uh, you know, their mortgage or their childcare or their rent or their holiday or their and so that you can't just go I don't think I'll bother today I think I'll just take the day off and I'll and that's so I definitely feel that responsibility but it's also part of the exciting bit I was gonna say like are those moments a I guess they could be a moment of overwhelm and like oh my god oh, mm. I'm responsible for these people or it's like a moment for real gratitude where you can you kind of pat yourself and your team on the back and you think how was this in my living room and now it's there, yeah. and, you know, that's incredible. Yeah. And, it, and it feels like it went from one to the other overnight. And it obviously didn't. It was years yeah. of work and people and decisions and all those things. But And I think that's probably what people quite often forget. I think a lot of the talk where you see um, business people and they're now turning over millions and you mm -hmm. kind of, you don't see that journey. And or you go, oh, they've been doing it for 20 years. Oh, I thought it happened overnight. And it's not. It's something very different. Well, it's amazing. Your story is so incredible. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna see if we've got any questions from the audience. But before, whilst we kind of collect those or see if anyone's asking anything, I've got a few quick fire ones for you. Just kind of your top okay. tips. If you could go back and give yourself as a young mom uh, with a couple of kids mm -hmm. trying to juggle everything, what's the one piece of advice that you wish you'd known then, or you would give to someone in that situation? Uh, don't try and do everything you did before and run a business on top. I think that's a good that would one. be it, because I think that's what lots of people do, and that's why they don't. That's why there are less women in business. That's because you're setting yourself up 100%. to fail potentially, because you're just piling in more stuff and 
and feeling, yeah, overwhelmed, going, oh, it's not working, and it might not be working because you haven't got the energy all the time to put into it, and it does require a lot. I say there's this thing of, you know, we've all got the same hours in the day as Beyonce, but Beyonce's got a massive support network around her, so <laughs> it's fine to ask to help. Well, and you might have, like, socially, I took quite a nosedive for a while at the mm. beginning because it was like, I can't get that in and I can't be hungover and I can't be tired because there's this stuff to do. Like, or lowering expectations and your standards at home for what you're going to achieve. And, and, you know, I think when you've got Instagram and people are managing to make their house beautiful as well as go on beautiful holidays, as well as manage to tong their hair, as well as managing to feed their kids the health, you know, how are you fitting all that in? And you can't. That's a snippet of someone's day. It's probably not realistic. Or that's their whole job because they're on Instagram and that's their thing. They're not also doing these other bits. And I think you have to kind of go, okay, which which bits are important to me? What's the Which is the key bit that I need to do? And what can I just drop off for a while? And not feel guilty about letting things drop off. It's totally you know, I've got better at the deal. I feel less guilty than I used to. And I did used to feel it. But it's such a waste of energy. And and it's hard because if you feel it, you feel it. But it it's just, I mean, men and men don't feel it. And that's one way, you know, when you're feeling something, it's kind of go, would my husband be worrying about this? No, he bloody wouldn't. He just doesn't, he doesn't have that same. And that and that's a barrier we can have for ourselves. And I think it is as well when we're, if you are working from home, be that you're, you know, starting a business from home or you're a service-based business and you can work from home, it's great that you've got that flexibility. But I do feel like we then, I certainly am constantly just like, well, you're at home. So like, you're the person that can, whatever, let the estate agent in. Yeah. You're the person that can go and get that delivery yeah. from the post office and it's like yes I can but I'm also yes. at work and I'm, my partner's a paramedic and I always say to him if he comes in in the day I'm like if I came over to you and you were you know doing CPR on someone and started asking you like where my dress was you'd go mad so yeah. I'm at work and it is about those boundaries we've got to create around ourselves and not again not feel guilty about doing that yeah and the fridge is a constant distraction when you're home it's very like oh my package <laughs> no it's just because it's there I think going and working somewhere is good if you can not all the time but it that's breaking up that day did it make a difference oh, when you yeah. were going to the warehouse and you kind of felt like you were going away from yeah. things oh and I uh, do you know what that was a joy last year I mean Doug used to travel all the time and I think it really grated on him. He, I mean, he didn't, he tried very hard to not show it, but I'd be like, he was at home the whole time and the kids are there. And I'd be like, right, well, I'm, I've got to go to the warehouse. So I'd be gone a couple of days. And so it was a real role reversal. And I have to, you can't be, you cannot be moody about this because I've done this for done years. <laughs> I, you know. yeah. Your turn, yeah. thanks. I'm going to Gloucester, yeah. bye. Um, (laughs) have you got um again a piece of advice or maybe something you found surprising that you wish you'd known about a product-based business specifically because with fan and flourish we've got a real mix of service-based and product-based businesses and they're completely different so is there anything else you wish you'd known about that area of things um i think probably from uh, if talking about at the start i think the staying focused not trying to do too much immediately i think with the product the key and products the key thing is that your customers will really quickly tell you if they do or don't like something. And until you get it live, you're not going to know. I think you could div about for ages worrying about the branding and getting it exactly right. And actually, once you're live, you're, you can change it. And people want to see an evolution. If you look at our packaging from the beginning to what it's like now, it's improved. Of course it has. And, and that is part of our constant process 
Um, but also you have the feedback and you know who better who your customers are and what they like. So I think with product, I think the, the danger is that you could hold yourself back until you've got something absolutely perfect. And it might not be perfect anyway, because it might be perfect to the four people that you're showing and talking to. And then your audience come in and they don't want something, or your customers, and they want something completely different. So I think um, get going was a was a big tip that I had at the start from um, a guy called Ben Jones, who's one of the founders of Grays.com. Okay. He's married to a good friend of mine. And um, he was like, just, just do it. Just get on with it. You know, and I was like fanning about about the logo and is this right and all and you could spend months on that stuff and once you're live you can change things really quickly but I think there's just that that holding back totally. and again I think probably women do it more yeah. because we're more like want to get it perfect and, and we're afraid of being judged and what are people going to say and all that stuff and it's like well once you're out there it's it's done and then you can start changing it again yeah before I run my own business I remember working for startups and the guys being like done is better than perfect like just get it out and it and it was I was horrified I was like no that's not the way but now I I still think there's like a level that some people maybe do take that yeah. a bit too far but I do understand yeah. the mentality of you can become crippled by your anxieties around something mm. being ideal and actually sometimes you have just got to put it out in the world and then you can like you said adapt on the line and um, we've got a question from Jess who said um she'd love to know what Steph has done to grow her your leadership skills whilst the business has been growing so exponentially um do you know what um my husband has been quite helpful just because I think he's learned a lot in in his job um through working with people so for example I mentioned the check-ins that I did with everyone I've come from a really corporate background with big teams where you used to get your 360, mm -hmm. you know, leadership um, report and you would all fill it in online and it was all done like that. And so I was kind of saying, oh, I think we need to do something like that. And we were talking about doing that. And I had spoken to my husband and he was like, are you joking? Like there's 20 odd people. Go and sit with them all. Go and sit and talk to them all. Give them all half an hour. Talk, you know. And, uh, and he was totally right. Like just listening to people and talking to people. And the, I suppose it had two benefits. It was them they giving me the information but also they felt heard they felt like somebody was bothering you know that that the boss was interested in what they had to say and how they were feeling and and that's really important that is something I will keep doing now like that's going to go in regularly and that kind of two-way communication I suppose and not being afraid to hear some of it because you might be it might make you feel bad or it might make you worry about someone else on your team or all that stuff so you kind of got to so that I think that was a key bit, and I think for me it's realizing just how it's, I, I know I've said it before. It was the communication. It's like you can't over communicate. Basically, the getting the team together for communications, telling everybody what's happening, especially during something like COVID. But they, you you need all those opportunities to talk, and I think you can assume that people who are based in the same office or in the same building will be doing that anyway, and they won't be not in the way that you need them to. Um, so kind of giving that opportunity and, and, and I suppose the other thing is kind of leading by example and like obviously during COVID there were times that I was out on the shop floor um, packing boxes and trying to help I mean I don't know I'm not as helpful as I used to be because I'm not as quick as I used to be but <laughs> packing boxes but all that stuff just showing you're willing to get involved I think that's important but yeah I'm learning all the time I would say it's a, it's just a constant constant learning curve have you have you worked with mentors or coaches or you know have you been investing in your own kind of growth as the business has been going or have you sort of just learned on the job essentially 
I think I've probably mostly learned on the job as I said, like talking to people as well and I've got enough people in my life who I could who are more experienced than me or I could kind of say how would you deal with that but I think it, a lot of it is sitting down with Doug and and going this is happening how would how should we handle that and having difficult conversations as well that whole um again mentioning Glenn and Dorha we can do hard things it's like no one wants to have difficult conversations and sitting down with someone and saying this is going to be a difficult conversation but having it anyway and it always feels better afterwards literally always no, mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable and you're sitting there and I've had to do lots of that that I just never had to do in previous jobs um but it it gets better it gets easier yeah and you know that I think it's a little bit like that risk of hiring someone and seeing that it works out better I guess the risk of I'm afraid to have this conversation but you seeing that it's better afterwards is is it gives you the confidence to do it even more and yeah so yeah. one final question before we end so Prathana wanted to know um which I think is a really important question is very curious to know how you carve out time for yourself between work and relationships and motherhood and all those other things do you? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think I I don't sleep as much as I would like to. So that's my that's my issue, um, which I can't work out if it's hormonal or it's my age or what is going on. But yeah, I don't or just like yeah, the volume of stuff going on. Um I think I think I try not to feel guilty. So if it's a you know, if it's a weekend and I've got something I can go and see some friends and there's some or you know, we've had loads of fortieths in the last year. Um I take the guilt out of that because like my kids are around you know my kids see me even if they sometimes they will do the guilt trip like you never are here you're like right well it's either me or dad have picked you up or dropped you off every day for the last how many years like we don't have because you don't have a nanny so you kind of have to remind them that we are here and yeah. around and so one or other of us um I go to the gym uh, I go to netball training on a Tuesday night with a group of women locally, which is great fun. So, I, but yeah, I do have stuff that I do. Um, I don't have an, as much time as I'd like kind of just sitting and watching TV and stuff. But then I don't know that I would, if it's there, I think I'm, I just am the kind of person that is often doing stuff. I think it's an age thing as well. Like, I think we're in, we, and we talk about this all the time. I know we talked about it just before we started the recording that you kind of go, but we've just got to get through the next couple of weeks and then it's going to get easier. And actually, I think um, Cherry Healy called this the rush hour of life, like where it, it's like this perfect storm of career opportunity and relationship stuff and having children and trying to buy a house and still wanting to have a social life because you're not so old that you don't want to go out anymore perhaps sometimes <laughs> and all that stuff and you're trying to do all of it and it's hard and you ha I think it's hard you know and, and I have to quite often stop and prioritize my relationship because if that goes wrong everything's screwed anyway um so and we've been quite good at that you know going like right we need a weekend away or we need mm -hmm. a night or we need to go for dinner or whatever so yeah. I think that's really important because sometimes me time is really important but then I think it's also and I'm definitely guilty of this when you're running a business is just not especially in the pandemic I'm just like I just don't see anyone anymore and it's kind of become the new normal and actually self-care is sometimes spending time with your loved ones be that your family or your friends or your relationships so it's got to you got to nurture those Steph thank you so much is there anything else that you would like to share with anyone then listening or um, anything that we can do what have you got coming up what are the next exciting things that where we can come and support you uh, and well we just 
we just launched a teen package. We've got, what else have we got coming up? We're, we're looking at our pregnancy package. We're looking at our stand-up to cancer package. Like we've, I think we've got better, more quickly, like evolving and developing new packages. There's new stuff all the time. We've got a new website, which is being built, which is challenging, but it's going to be great. <laughs> um, yeah, we're good. I think we're just, we're keeping going. So I think, um, and corporate as well. Last year was really big for us from corporate. So that's really interesting to see what happens with that this year. Because obviously businesses really wanted to stay in touch with their employees and nobody was in an office, which I mean, we're still not. So in a lot of cases, but yeah, but mostly, um, yeah, have a look at, if you don't, haven't looked at our website, have a look at our website. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, obviously feel free. I'm always around. <laughs> Steph, thank you so much. Absolutely love chatting to you and just full of amazing tips and your success is just such an inspiration. So thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. Brilliant, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bossing It. So that this podcast can be discovered by even more people, please do rate, review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us online at Found Flourish and you can tweet us, DM us, get in touch with us however you'd like to let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we cover in this series or if you'd like to nominate your favourite entrepreneur to be our next guest.